Ezra 2. <laughs> if you know your Bible, you'll be going, ooh. If you don't know your Bible, you'll be thinking, ah, that's fine. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to do Bible in a year. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. Many people have. Um, starts off really well, Genesis. Ooh, that's really interesting. Mixture of, you know, lots of different things to think about. And it goes through all these things. Exodus and Joshua's pretty good. I remember reading through Joshua. That's pretty good. And you've got your Deuteronomy, Exodus, and everything else. And the Gospels, I mean, the New Testament, fantastic, the letters. But there are various times in the Bible where you hit the lists. You know the ones, right? You hit the list and you go, oh, my word. Especially numbers like, please. Okay, because you've got those genealogies. You've got who begat, who begat, who begat, who. It's like, what, what is going on? And then there's ones that are, the, the list of building materials and measurements. Like, why do I need to know the cubits of this thing? And then we hit the, num the names and the numbers and the names of the tribes and the groups and the numbers. And we kind of just think, can I just get past this in my reading plan, please? Let's get back to the stories and the bits that I understand. Turn in your Bible, whatever you've got, whether it's online, or a, a app or a physical one. Turn to Ezra 2. Turn to Ezra 2. I'll give you a second, if you've never seen it before, and take a look at Ezra 2. I need to bribe Aaron not to give me these as preaching topics in the future. I get Ezra 2. Look at it. It's a massive list. Many preachers navigate around this one. I watched a four-hour video the other day. I watched two and a half hours of it. On the two and a half hour point, or two hour mark, he hit Ezra 2 and he skipped it. <laughs> I was waiting, thinking this will help me, this will be great. I'm just building, I think I watched the whole thing, it'll build me up, I'll be ready. And literally he goes, Ezra 1, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Ezra 3, I'm like, no, just listen to you for two hours and you skipped it. And, and you're not, if you're not careful, you could read studies on Ezra 2 and you could come to the end of it and they would just tell you lots of things about the list and how the list was formed and the fact the list differs from other lists, but if you look at it close enough, you can explain it. And you just come out the back of it going, I got that, so what? So, so, so what? what? What does that mean? So this is not an easy one to research, but, but, let's pause for a second. I got control. If not, you might have to click for me. There we go. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And scripture contains these lists. And so, we need to push in. And we need to ask, well, if it's here, why is it here? It's here because lists matter lists matter i'm sure most of you know the film schindler's list right we most of us will know it if not i'd strongly suggest you take a deep breath and watch it it's based on a true story schindler's list it's actually based on a historical novel which was called schindler's ark that got then turned into a film called schindler's list in essence it's a true story um, it's been, you know, rewritten to kind of make it a, a movie. Um, but it's the story of Oskar Schindler. He was a German industrialist and he owned an enamelware factory. Um, the truth about Schindler was he was a fairly mercenary businessman. He was a businessman. He wanted to run a business and make money. And he had a factory in Poland 
and he was using captured Jews, captured by the Nazis, as his workers, because they were the cheapest workers he could get. And he knew if he could employ hundreds of them, so he did, he could do things with very, very cheap labour, because they were essentially enslaved. And as if you know the film and the story is true, he began to grow in affection towards them as he got to know them. And as the war intensified, his factory, which was an enamelware factory, was likely to be shut down. It doesn't help the war effort. Enamelware is not a big thing in wars. So as the war effort got more intensive, like we're going to shut that, we, we heard, they heard it's going to get shut down. And they knew if it was shut down, what would likely happen to those Jewish workers. They would be taken off to concentration camps and likely killed. So they hatched a plan together to turn it into a munitions factory to make rocket grenades, uh, anti-tack grenades, because they knew if they could do that, they wouldn't get shut down. And they asked that it would be moved to a safer location inside Germany, because he knew that also would mean that he was protected, the people who worked for him were protected. And so the factory was moved into Germany. And in but in 1944, one of his Jewish members of staff, who's actually kind of the guy who's actually the hero of the story behind the scenes, a guy called Marcel, Marcel Goldberg, he made the lists, not Schindler. He made at least two, probably more, lists of people that would come to the new factory and so received that gift, which was a gift of survival. And it's rumoured that Goldberg inflated the lists. Lots of the people on there had never worked in his factory before. They were people that they wanted to save. So they increased and increased and increased the list till it got to 1,200. They would survive in Schindler's factory, hence the novel is called Schindler's Ark. It takes them and it saves them from certain peril. The film is called Schindler's List, and like I say, it's actually Goldberg's List, Schindler's Ark. Imagine the passion by which people would try it and get on that list. Imagine the, the motivation to say, am I on that list? Can I get on that list? And that's what happened. Many went to Goldberg and said, can I get on that list? And he was like, I'll try, and he put people on the list who had nothing to offer to the business. And that list grew and grew. It was the passion was the difference between life and death. Lists, lists matter. To be accurate, lists of people really, really matter. So let's not skim past genealogies and skim past names. Uh, and I'm not going to read it line by line today. I'll show you why in a little while. But I'm going to at least ask us to consider three things. Then we're going to respond in prayer. Like I say, we might have a little bit of an overrun today, but I think it's been a powerful morning and we need to respond in prayer so the three things i'm going to talk about is that the list proves god is faithful the list proves that god is relational and the list proves hallelujah that god is to be worshipped so let's look at the fact that the list proves that god is faithful there you go this is of huge importance because this list is going to show us God's faithfulness, that he's fulfilling his promises. And if you remember at the beginning when Aaron introduced us this whole series, he showed us the thing about Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, because he's mentioned in the very first line of Ezra chapter 1, it's the first line where it says, In this year of, the, of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
and as you um, hopefully remember from recently, then he allowed them to come back, all the Jews to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. So let's look at Jeremiah. Let's have a quick look at it. 29, 10 to 14. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, so that once they're in exile for 70 years, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, back to Jerusalem, for I know the plans I have for you. See, I've often said, careful when you're quoting this line, remember you're quoting about a people in captivity. We use this line on coffee cups to tell them God's got good plans for you. And that's true, he has got good plans for you. But just remember, 70 years ahead, you know? I know God's got plans for you. What, 70 years to be fulfilled? It's important we know that, okay? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Wow! That's a promise and a half, right? So in case you missed it, the Jews are in exile, they're in Babylon, and he's going to bring them back. And now in Ezra, he's bringing them back. He's making good on his promise. The promises you're going to read in two chronicles, if you look at the prophecies of Isaiah, he prophesies, he promises, I will bring you back. And this is that moment when he's bringing them back. And that is truly exciting because the list is proof. The list is evidence. The list is like detail. Look, it wasn't just something. There's names, there's numbers. This really, really happened. They were exiled for 70 years and he promises to pull them back and he does. That's because he's true to his promises and this is the evidence that he's true to his promises. It's specific. It's got real names on it, real people, real places. The list is showing God's heart is for people. You don't need to know the names. I don't need to know the names. I could never remember the names. You wouldn't stand a chance. Trust me, it's going up on the screen in a minute. You'll never remember the names. The important thing is that God knows the names. He knows your name. He knows your name. That's the thing. He knows their names. He knows their families. He knows the numbers of people in their families. He knows the towns they come from, the genealogies, and the hairs on their head. And so does he of you for those in Christ Jesus. Do you see... It's just showing God's heart. The reason it's in the Bible is not so we can read it out on a Sunday at church like a laundry list, because trust me, you will fall asleep if I was to read it out. It's to show God's heart is set on people, real people, specific people, on you and on me. And that's glorious, man. And it's more than the list. It's a foreshadowing of what we hear about Jesus Christ himself. Foreshadowing, it's, uh, it's like we read that and then we recognize it in Jesus, the good shepherd. God's nature is reflected in and lived out in Jesus. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And look at Jesus, he describes himself as a good shepherd. And we've got this amazing scripture in John 10, 2 to 1. This is Jesus speaking, by he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Like, if you can't get that into your excited part of your body, then I'm going to read it again until it does. He calls you in by name. 
Thank you, Lorraine. More than admin. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he leads them out. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Knowing you by name is huge. And the reality of Ezra is God saying, even in exile 70 years, I will not forget you. This isn't a temporary arrangement that you need to keep up. Once you're with me, I will not forget you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Revelation 21:27 speaks of the Lamb's book of life. The names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Your name, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, written in the Lamb's book of life. Feeling a bit low today? Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Frustrated by something or someone, things not going your way, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Disappointed by people, pulling yourself down, getting frustrated and angry with people and what they're doing, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. worried about life death where things are taking you the state of the world your name is written in the lamb's book of life god made promises to us all that whoever believes that jesus died for their sins will receive eternal life he's making good on that promise every single moment of every single day he keeps making good as people get saved over and over again Lists of people matter because God is a God of relationship. The list proves that God is relational. Up until recently, and I mean this, this is a genuine thing I'm shocked at, and I'm thinking, God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. I was terrible at remembering names. Absolutely awful. You could introduce someone to me, and within nine seconds after being introduced, I'm staring at them thinking, I have no idea what your name is, and I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I can't remember who you are. <laughs> Something has happened. It's a work of the Spirit because I can name 80 Afghans with their complicated names. Shirazad and Matula and Pacha and all these guys. I'm like walking up and saying hello. I'm thinking, I don't even know people I've known for years. I can't remember their names. How do I remember yours? And then I'm meeting all this wave of LST people. I'm thinking, I remember your names, Hannah Kirk. I remember your name. I know who you are, Jess. I know who you are. And that means something. Doesn't it, Yost? <laughs> Doesn't it, Pete? It means something to know someone's name. It means there's more to this than church attender 426 of my life. You are known, when I say your name, I don't mean this by any ego of me at all. Some of you are thinking, what are you going to say, Pete? Because there's something in us that says, I wonder if he knows who I am. Because that signifies relationship. That signifies something more than a, a loose association. There's a warmth when someone says, how are you doing? How are you keeping? And then says your name at the end of that sentence. And they say, how are you doing? So they say, how are you doing, Benny? Something changed. There's a warmth. In that moment, hey, let me go. <laughs> I got named. <laughs> but there's something going on there that goes, ah, oh, I feel, 
I feel relational when you say my name. If you just said, all right, and some people, I used to do the terrible thing, which is, how you doing, mate? Because I don't know your name. <laughs> There's something going on. It's more than an association. Naming you reflects a level of care, a level of value. Names on a list shows God is about real relationships. Those names meant they were known to God, valued by him. As God's people. There's names and there's also critical roles. Now, I, don't know, I, I used to do a lot of stuff in conferences and I used to help people with conferences and I used to be part of a team that would support people doing those big conferences in parts of my life in the past. And um, at the end of the conference, someone would say, so I just want to thank the caterers I want to thank the presenters and I want to thank the speakers and I want to thank the cleaning staff and the list goes on and we're standing there in the tech team going, if he doesn't say our name, we're going to explode. We've been here since 7am, morning tech, we've been here since, well, you know, <laughs> but we've been here working and, and, and then he says, and especially tech and we all go like, yes, he got tech. Because recognising the groups of people and what they do, and I'm thankful I, I thank tech, otherwise tends to be your mic will go dead. Amazing job today, thank you team. Don't touch that button, Gareth. <laughs> but there's something about, recon oh, he recognises us as a group doing something. That's also, like, important. So look at the list again if you've still got your Bible open. There's a list of roles there. There's a list of things that people will do. This, this by the way, just to make it clear, this is the first of three returns going on in the book of Ezra. I'm going to trip over this in a minute. Um, but... The first return is to rebuild the temple. Not under Ezra. We have, we're not going to meet Ezra for a while. The second return is to re-establish the Torah and the kind of system of relig religious systems in, uh, in Jerusalem. So that's Ezra. And then finally you get the rebuilding of the city under Nehemiah. But this first section is ha happening under someone called Zerubbabel. Great name. If you're naming babies, I'd love to meet a Zerubbabel one day. <laughs> they, will, they will hate you when the alphabetical list starts, of course, at school. Let's go by alphabetical, not Zerubbabel's at the back. Oh, not again. Why don't they start from the other end? But, but that's the person that really is leading. There's Jeshua involved and some others involved as well. But that's, that's the list under which people um, are about to construct the temple. So there's a relational piece to naming people as well who are going to be doing something. And this is why today was today. Because this was about building a place of worship. And the list proves that God is to be worshipped. So they're not returning at random, they're returning to rebuild and re-establish the temple. Remember, it was destroyed. Jerusalem is laid flat, the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians. The, the temple was a permanent version of the tabernacle, the tabernacle being the place where God would dwell amongst his people. And you've got to just chew on that for a moment, like the temple, the place of worship is where God looks to dwell amongst his people the all-powerful mighty creator of the universe the one who sets everything in place who flings stars into the sky wants to dwell amongst his people we sang it today i will dwell in the presence of the most high god like that's true we get to dwell in the presence of the most high god because of jesus's blood and the promised holy spirit is in this room the creator of the universe is dwelling in this room. That's why some mornings where we're like thinking, I just want to feel your presence. That's, that's good. But also that's down to us to bring the worship. But wow, feel his presence. 
He's with us. He's dwelling with us. But we're right now in 537 BC. We're back pre-Jesus. We're back pre-the promised Holy Spirit coming. So things are different then. The temple is important because that's where they believe that God's going to dwell with them again. And we'll hear the whole story about how that unfolds in the chapters ahead. But the list is God re-establishing the human structure in order to support the temple structure. So he's rebuilding a physical temple and a people-based temple who are going to do all the things that need to happen. And so if you look at the list, and here we go, there it is. If you could like, someone, I could have got someone to read that out. In fact, Becky West offered to read it out. I'm like, no, Becky, we're not doing it. She just wanted to do the names. But that is, that is Ezra 2. Okay? You can imagine when I opened that up and I look at the preaching. I went, oh, my word. But let me just break it down a little bit for you. It begins with 11 names of 11 leaders, and you need to add in Shesh Bazaar from chapter 1, and you get 12. That represents the reestablishing of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's important to their structures. Then comes the family names and all those numbers you can see. Then the names of towns and their populations. Then the priests, descendants of Aaron. Then the Levites, descendants of Levi, and singers. Then you get the temple servants. That's the people who do the menial work, the the everyday tasks, but they're critical. So they get listed. They get named. Their function gets named because they're what runs everything. And the actual translation of the word actually translates more like dedicated ones. I love that. People serving you in this church are dedicated ones. I think we should start calling that a dedicated ones meal, a dedicated ones gathering for all those who serve. Then you get the sons of Solomon in 58 to 50, 55 to 58, his servants, the singers again. 59 to 63, those who could not produce family heritage, those that could not say where they came from. So because that would potentially uh, defile the holiness of the people, they were kept away until they could do something no one understands, by the way. If you look at this thing in there that tells them how they get back in, no one quite knows what that is. But there was a way to kind of restore yourself. But for now, we can't tell your heritage, therefore you cannot be a priest inside the church. This reconstitution of the people is centered around the temple, and the temple is centered around worship so when you look at all those chapters Ezra 2 2 to 68 that's about a tenth of the people in there are actually related to worship they are the priests the singers the servants of the temple that's a huge percentage of the people and you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks the one of the primary reasons for this list this return from exile and this setting captives free to come back is that, you're, if you understand the story, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of effort that's going to be needed to re-establish the place of worship. They had to walk for what was probably 60 to 70 days back from Babylon to Jerusalem, and they were coming back to rubble. So there was a lot to do to re-establish this place of worship. Some Sunday mornings can be quite a task. They can, but it's worth the effort to dwell in the presence of the Most High God. We sometimes turn up waiting to be stirred by the worship team. It's like their job to get me into worship. This morning we were praying so much about, no, we're we're here to worship. And anything that's trying to stop that from happening, we were praying it away with passion this morning. We're waiting to be motivated by the preacher. 
sufficiently fellowshipped after the service. And that's all valid. I'm not saying it's not valid. But what we should realise is this, you're coming to a place of worship. That means you're bringing it. You are it. We are it. It is not these guys. It is us worshipping God. The Israelites walked 650 miles to rubble, to build a place where God would dwell. We come three or four miles from home on a Sunday, every Sunday, to build a place where God will dwell. God loves to gather people. So here today we have priests, kind of a role, the name you could give to me, but don't, please don't call me priest or anything else, just call me Andy. But we have priests, we have singers, we have temple servants making your tea and coffee. There's temple servants, dedicated ones out right there looking after your children right now. We've got tech here at 8.30 in the morning, building a place where we can come and worship, and the worship team themselves. The question is, why, why are we all here? Why are you here? Are we here to be entertained in a club of people that quite like each other and are quite nice? Or are we here to worship in a place where people love each other and are quite nice? We're here to worship, guys. We're here to worship. And it's good to see this church growing again but we grow to worship. And I want to end with the biggest challenge, for me at least, in Ezra's list. It's the totals. Now, don't do the maths, it won't work, okay? But how many came back from Babylon to Jerusalem in the first return? If you add the numbers up and you do a little bit of research, 48,697. That's how many Jews were outside of Jerusalem, mostly in Babylon, and come back from around Persia, 49,000-ish, when King Cyrus makes that decree. How many Jews do you think were actually in exile at the time? Numbers say up to a million, which means only 50,000 come back of a million. 950,000 don't. 950,000 stay away in Babylon, a place of captivity, away from God's presence, away from the place of worship. Why? And the simple answer is, well, it's simple, but it's profound, probably. They get used to it. They get used to being away from God. They get used to the world in which they're in captivity. And I think this isn't so bad. Why would I go over there where there's effort needed to bring worship to God when I can stay here and pretty much do the matrix thing? I remember it's the red pill or the blue pill anymore, if you know that film. That has profound implications for how we rebuild the church post-COVID. Because many of us, thankfully you're here today, but many of us became used to being away, used to not worshipping together, used to thinking Sunday morning is now not like, oh, kids, put your coat on, get your coat on. Where's my, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? That was a lot easier, wasn't it? You could put a nice shirt on and have your underpants on. No one would know. <laughs> Never do that in church, please. But many have got used to not being at church. It was just too much effort, so they now do other things. They go and do sports on a Sunday morning. They do one hour of worship, and then they're all listening to an online service at a distance, and then they fly off. Some still do that. Guys on Zoom, hello. I know many of you don't. 
and that's not, it's not wrong to be on Zoom, because many of you can only be on Zoom, and we've got a big Zoom following now. But for some of us, it's just an excuse not to be at church, and therefore man, many weeks we've stopped clicking at all. But I'm talking to those who just don't come to church anymore, and you know them, and I want you to be praying for them. Praying for them to come back and taste and see what it means to be in the house of God, where God is pleased to dwell. What it's like to worship like we worship this morning. Pray for them. But this and the whole issue of lists, from the beginning reference I made to Schindler, right through to Ezra's list, and the most important list, the list of all eternity, which is the Lamb's Book of Life, all those lists, 50,000 versus 950,000, reminds us, like those Babylonian Jews that remain, there is a whole world out there of people living in captivity and not even recognizing that's where they are and are comfortable away from the presence of God. And that's the road to hell. Because they don't know Jesus, they don't know God, and it's our job and our responsibility to tell them. They don't know, like Schindler's list, that I want to be on that Lamb's Book of Life list because no one's told them about it. They don't know what we mean by it. But it's the most important list of eternity to be on that list. So we have a burden on us to tell them about it. A burden on us to help introduce them to Jesus Christ and tell them that he will put you on that list. He will save you from the consequences of your eternal sin. It's a calling us. It's hard to hear and it's hard to do, but we're called to tell people about Jesus. To tell them that there is a way to God. Life eternal with God. And there's only one other way, life eternal without him. And therefore, you want to be on this list. Amen? So I want us to respond in prayer. I'm going to take about five, five minutes or so. Um, yeah, I was going to get the worship team back up, but I think they've, they've done what we needed to do today, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give us some time in prayer, and then I'm going to probably pray over us. But there's, two, there's two areas of prayer I want to offer out. We've got an amazing prayer team here, by the way. Really great bunch of people who want to pray with you. But I want to first of all ask them if there's anyone that wants to be prayed for to say, look, I don't know, I don't know if I'm really on that la- in that Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know if I am. You're telling me about it, you're telling me about Jesus. I'm thinking, well, I don't really know if I know him. I don't really know if I'm on that list. Then I'd ask you to be prayed for today. And this will take a moment of courage, but this is the most important thing.